Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Weird Things. You're joined by Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hi, gang! Mr. Brian Brushwood. That's me! And myself, Andrew Maine. Now, gentlemen, I'm going to warn you. This could be the most controversial episode ever. Wow. My eyes have widened. Of any show or or of this one? Yes. Yes! Yes! For at least one of us, they may not want to let a loved one listen in. Really? Uh-oh. We're going to go into dark territory. And I don't mean Steven Seagal directed DVD dark territory. I mean dark, <laughs> dark territory. Nice. All right, I'm ready. I'm like, I'm very pumped for this. I'm shrouded in darkness. I have emo fingernail polish on <laughs> right now. All right, this is how it begins, Brian. Justin. Yeah. We get a call from a fan of the show. Okay. All right. And, and we'll actually be talking about an email we got a little bit later on from Sweet. one of our listeners. We get a call from a fan of the show. Again, it's one of these reclusive multimillionaires, of which we know many. Yeah. But guys, I love the show. I want you to do a special edition of Weird Things from my lair. We're like, great. Nice. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. The lair. private jet will be picking you up shortly. All right. So first, private jet lands in Miami. Picks up Justin and I. We get on the jet. Awesome. Jet jet takes off, lands in Texas. Brian, you get on the jet. That's right. right. So the three of us are now on this jet. You two the are already form. hammered by the time I get on the plane. Beyond belief, all sure. right? The lair, the millionaire's retreat, is in South America. So we're flying down across the equator. We fly over South America. We hit turbulence. The plane crashes in the mountains. Oh. <sighs> Wow. And you know, our survival skills, not so good. But we all three survive. Maybe a pilot. Maybe the pilot's kind of wounded. But here's the problem. We ate all the snacks. Now we're trapped in the mountains. We don't know when rescue's coming. First, we make the best of it. You know, we hang out. We tell jokes. We get all giddy. We think it's funny. Then two hours later, we realize this is serious. Five I, hours I, later. I love that you gave us exactly two hours before we finally realized the severity of our situation. Before we all start panicking. Because it's getting freaking cold, yeah. you know. We're, that's our attention span. And then darkness falls. You know, we keep waiting for the rescue helicopters to come. They don't. The next day comes up. Our bellies start to ache. And we're hungry. What do we do? Are you, are you implying that we should eat someone? Like maybe the pilot? Or Maybe the de- there's two pilots. One of the pilots dead. The other one's wounded. Three of us. We're healthy because we're in the back. Is there any other food options? I mean, are, are there no. bugs? I'll eat bugs. Brian, we're on top of the mountain. This is like, you know, soccer team style. Okay, there's nothing there. Hmm. How long do you wait? We got a dead pilot. How long do we wait? Let me tell you, thankfully, there's been a PR campaign, a pro-cannibalism when it's necessary PR campaign for the last 20 years in mass media. So I'm feeling a little less guilty. Wait, hold on. Where? Oh, come on. The movie Alive? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and every time they represent, they're like, oh, what a terrible choice. But you made the right decision. The decision to live. And that's And that's, you know, there's been a bunch of movies like that. All right, I'm with you on that, Brian. Cannibalism yeah, is so Other than Alive, like Alive is the only movie I can think of where the heroes are lauded for. There eating have other been people. a number of uh, like on History Channel documentaries about like those those folks in the uh, uh, what was it the Mormons or something that were heading out west and they got trapped mm-hmm. and they ate each other. Okay, so Brian's on board, Justin. What oh, about you? Of course, you? Brian's on board. Of course, he would be. <laughs> are you on board, Justin? <sighs> Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. I just want to point out, I mean, really, it's a slippery slope because we eat one guy and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm 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 the shortest and least able to defend myself amongst the three of us. So you're, That's say, you're saying that we have we face that Tom and Jerry problem of turning and looking at Andrew and all of a sudden we just <laughs> see a giant mutton chop with a face on it. Exactly. Hey, listen, guys, this is, I'm going to tell you this now. When I decide it's time. You'll never see it coming. <laughs> You'll never see it coming. I'll be like, you know, maybe we should draw straws. Brian, would you go pick up those straws? <laughs> over the That's the way it's going to. When it gets to that survival mode for me. Yeah. yeah. Once, but I'm serious. Once though, I like, cross the Rubicon, no going back. Like, I may not come off the mountain. I'm going to be like, I'm just going to eat people up here. I've made that choice. <laughs> They won't and that is how the below. cannibal king of the Andes began. <laughs> 
You know, uh, that's one of the things, though. I'm serious when I say cannibalism ain't as bad as it used to be. Uh, in fact, actually, there was some talk about, like, you know, they're, they're talking about growing meats in the laboratory from stem cells or whatever. <laughs> and somebody was asking, like, how long till hipsters, you know, start eating human flesh Andrew, grown in the lab? Andrew, you as much as it does to me that Brian's made a lifestyle choice that he's trying to justify? <laughs> well, this is a two-parter, so I just want to get some consensus here before we move on to part two of this. Yeah, all right. I mean, I guess I, I would be in. I mean, all when right. push comes to shove, I'd be in. So, yes. guy who's already dead, we're okay with. Yeah. Especially okay, if about- I don't know him. The only time it gets awkward is if I knew that person. I was like, eh, that's your butt, dude. Eh. Well, Brian, <laughs> let's do scenario two now. We, we've eaten Eduardo, the dead yeah. pilot. Yeah, who right. we don't okay. know. Yeah. Well, let's okay. And so uh, here's scenario two. Roll back time, okay? We get the phone call. Phone calls, Brian, I want you to do a private show for me. You're like, all right, bring the family. <laughs> Plane takes off from Texas, head o- heads over South America. And I may have said heads over the Alps before, but <laughs> it's a really wrong wow. Okay, yeah, heads over yeah. South America, crashes the in the Andes, right? And you, Bonnie, how many kids do you got? Uh, is, is that really significant? I guess two? <laughs> two kids. <laughs> two kids. All right. Uh, Justin, I want you to choose a family member that perishes first. Uh, well, so I'm betting on which one that Brian. No, just first? pick one. Just pick one for the scenario. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm make, I'm gonna say yeah, Bonnie. I'm gonna say Bonnie. Yeah. Not okay. Right. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and cast my vote against child death and uh, <laughs> say Bonnie. <laughs> Man, that Children is dark. Uh, let me tell you. Um, you know what I do? And, and it changes things when you get your family. By the way, kudos to you, Andrew Maine, for like laying out a strategic map of Brian's heart and finding the <laughs> darkest spot and just firing a crossbow right into the center of it. Thank you for doing that. Oh, David, you You're know welcome. it's a dark scenario when the when the preamble is, so your wife's dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let me tell you, no, like with the kids, it changes. Like you, you enter an irrational space when it when it deals with kids, and all of a sudden. What I do is I, I was like, listen, kids, daddy's going to go bury mom. And he drags, you know, the, the momsicle off around the corner. Oh, good God. <laughs> and, then, and then comes back and says, okay, so daddy buried mom. By the way, daddy also happened to find a bunch of meat. So kids, you eat this meat to survive. Uh, daddy's not very hungry. <laughs> and that's how it goes down. That's how it goes down. You don't even bother cooking it. I like it. Well, you can't. I mean, you're in the Andes. And plus, it's like, I think it would be better. Like, like you don't want the mushy middle. It's like you either want it cooked or you want to eat like a meat popsicle, where it's just kind of flavor and you're chomping down on something hard, like meat jerky frozen style. <laughs> how old's your oldest child? Uh, Almost six. Almost six. Yeah. Uh, not quite the age where she's going to get too curious about where the meat came no, from. No, 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 no. <laughs> It's a game. Years years later, there's gonna be a lot of therapy. So so you're you, you, you know what? There's feed... gonna be therapy from this freaking podcast right about now. But you go ahead, <laughs> Justin. Yeah. So are you saying? Okay, so now Justin gets family? to decide which the... of my family he gets to eat first. Yes, Justin's <laughs> on the plane too. Plane crashes. Justin's on the plane with Brian's family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my god, that's too dark. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Bonnie's gone. One of the ch- child, the the third child, succumbs in the night. <laughs> okay, the adopted child. Okay, <laughs> make it easy uh, for cousin you. Cousin Oliver. <laughs> yeah, cousin Oliver succumbs in the night. Um. Oh my God! So wait, so Bonnie's already gone then. You guys ate Bonnie. <laughs> so what? what, uh, what you didn't even said, pace yourself. Are you saying? Are you saying? All right. So is the question yes or no? Will you eat a child if yes, if that's necessary? The question. And, and really, it's not even that. Is at what level do you eat a child? Like, what does the situation? How horrific does this situation have to be to eat uh, uh, somebody young? You, you know what I think the difference is is you can only eat a child after the other child has died. Like that's too. That's too. Or you can maybe or, feed or the one child. Kill, or do you kill another adult? So Brian, what you're saying is you you after one child dies, you starve the other child. So you well, have that's twice a good question. Maybe, maybe you do feed the other child. Man, that's a tough one. Wait, 
How come how come there's not like a section on this in the Bible for our spiritual guidance? <laughs> and and, and, yay. and and lo, Job found himself crashed in the Andes. Andes. <laughs> And and yea, though he did tempt the fate of the flesh, he did wait until the other child had died first to feed it. BT dubs, they were fifteen minutes outside of a resort town the yeah, entire time. Yeah, that's the sad part. That that comes the other. Yeah, you guys were you guys were like able to view at all times. You know, some fast food place that just none of us care for. Yeah, let me exactly. tell you, Andrew, there's a Hardee's. Yeah, yeah. we're like, I don't know. I just really don't like their, I really like their buns. It's, it's suddenly occurring to me that we may need to establish some ground rules about these scenarios going into it for future episodes. I, I don't think we can go any darker than that, Brian. Yeah, oh, I, I, I guarantee I think, we, I think we pretty much redlined here. I have, yeah. I have faith in Andrew, if nothing else, in his ability to make me even more uncomfortable than I am right now. <laughs> oh, the internet. Well, I, I would say that you handled it, you know, using logic and compassion, and I, I admire your response, sir. Of course, the stoic thing to say, I would starve to death rather than eat another human being. But no, no, you're a survivalist. So wait, hold on, wait, is that where you're at, Andrew? Are you gonna? Are you taking that? That's out? the moral high ground. That that's listen, total listen. BS. Sitting in my my rarefied, climate controlled protective shell here with a kitchen filled with food, it's very easy for me to say that. Um, I think the first bit of turbulence that hits the airplane i'm already making out my little checklist of who i'm eating there was an article in wired about that almost this exact same thing not not with cannibalism but but like the interview started with a guy sitting down and offering a cookie to the other guy he said would you like this cookie he's like sure he's just like would you pay ten thousand dollars for this cookie he's like what are you what are you crazy and he says and he went on to draw parallels to the show survivor where literally people have Literally giving out tens of thousands of dollars of prize prize value, uh, for for you know for a, a slice of pizza because at that moment the 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 biological urge was so great that it just overrode everything else. So I'm I'm anticipating that I'm anticipating mm-hmm. like it's four in the afternoon and I'm kind of hungry and all of a sudden you know I just you know the wife's Your looking child a little tasty. Won't stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Brian, you brought up the whole uh, vat-grown human meat. Would you eat it? Oh, absolutely. I'll eat anything vat-grown. I think I think vat-grown meat is the future of humane, uh, tasty meats for the future. Where it's like, right. literally, you can have a judging of the best-looking heifer, the best-tasting marbleized meat or whatever, and then everyone in the world gets to taste the greatest steak in existence. That, to me, is nothing but positive. I'm 100% for it. All right, Brian, here's my next question. Let's say they find out the best best kind of vat-grown meat is grown on the bone. Well, shoot, you grow bone, and then you freaking Full grow skeleton. It. Full skeleton. Yeah, why not? Some organs. Yeah. Doesn't that kind of just sound like a, a as-yet-to-be-written children's song? You know, you <laughs> the grow best the kind bone of meat in the vat, grown you grow on the bone. bone. Yeah. Well, let's say they need to have some sort of uh, nervous system, so they maybe have just lo- the lower brain system in there. Yeah, you know, two two thirds of the brainstem. I'm cool with that. I mean, so you know, like you, you, you poke it at twitches. That you know, whatever. So you, you you take your children to the meat factory and like they see a bunch of people up on racks. <laughs> Wait, who said that 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 human was the most popular meat? I asked if you'd eat human. Well, yeah. I would eat human, but I I doubt it'll be the most popular. That's that's something you do on a dare. Um, that's like eating fugu, eating fugu uh, and human, same mm-hmm. thing. So you would eat human, and you're not bothered by the idea, even if it were, you know, basically looked like a human before you ate it. That's aesthetics-driven reasoning, which I'm kind of patently against intellectually. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't actually looked at a human-like shape and decided whether or not to eat it yet. So it's hard for me to say whether or not I come down on that side. You what, know, if, what, what if it looks like a dude, and they saw it off, and they call it the Ralph? <laughs> they say, hey, would you like some Ralph shank? And they just saw it off, and it looks just like a 40-year-old and it's, bald And dude. its mascot is a 40-year-old balding dude named Ralph. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like- and they have, like, they have like some of those, uh, like, their advertisements are, like, the, the barbecue places where, like, the pig is eating itself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> his, his, uh, like, the slogan is, you know, Ralph, he pops up and he goes, eat me. <laughs> it's like hey, you. 
Eat it's like, me, I'm Ralph! Like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please try. Come on. Go ahead. Have a piece. Just a piece. <laughs> let, so, me tell uh, you, Bron- let me tell you, I, I, as long as there's no remotely conscious being on the inside, and uh, I'm, I'm okay with that intellectually. I can't speak to whether or not in my gut I would fly for it one way or the other. What, what about Wait, you, Justin? What if he has a head and he can talk, but all he can say is, a boo boo. What if all he can say is, "I'm Ralph, eat me, <laughs> burners." Yeah. Uh, all right. What I I oh god. I, I think um I, I am a very very scared simple creature, and I don't know if I could be uh into eating something if it came off what looked well, to be well, a human body. Well, Justin, we take precautions. Okay. We we make sure that it's you know. Not sentient. Now, what if what if it was no, like? No, it's got to not look. And to be honest with you, like it's got to be in a chili. I don't know if I could eat it if it weren't in a stew. <laughs> that or was a like chili. the best South Park ever, by the way. Oh, yeah, 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 it was. It was. Hey, by the way, so what if it was technically cow meat? They took they took cow stem cells and they put it on a human like skeleton uh, or framework, and they grew. It was definitely beef, but it was like human beef. And that's their whole Boring. gimmick. It's just like, uh, would you eat it then? Brian, I got I got a homework assignment for you. Uh oh. I want you to go get. They have like these. Uh, they have these meatloaf pans that are shaped like a person. No. Uh, yes. I want you to go make some meatloaf shaped like a person. Yes. Your family. Yes, I will <laughs> definitely do that. Absolutely. <laughs> you need I mean, to like- put, need to put a layer of ketchup in there too. Yeah, I don't know. Like, true story. Like, remember when Heinz came out with like the different colored ketchups? Yeah, like, what was yeah. Up with ten that? years ago, and they had like the green ketchup. Like, I couldn't eat it. Like, I would try. I put like green ketchup on on my hot dog, and I just like it. it I would not. Uh, it, I would just stop eating it. It would. Just, it freaked me out too much. Let me tell too you, much like your Vulcan blood. Yeah, basically. So aesthetics definitely matter. Like, I had a friend of a friend who uh, is very picky about his food. And he ordered something, and he thought he was eating pork. He was like, oh, my gosh, this pork is so good. And he was wolfing it down. Then he found out that they were actually plantains, like he was eating somebody else's order. Once he <laughs> knew they were plantains, because he's a picky eater, he could not choke down another bite. And I'm going to say I'm actually sympathetic to that. So I, I can understand irrational things keeping you from being able to, to choke down certain foods. Yeah, that is hilarious, though, because if it were the other way around, yeah, but plantains would make the most horrible pork ever. Yeah, I know. Good Lord. He thought uh, it was, like, treated with, like, you know, cinnamon sugar or something. Who knows? Oh, okay. That's funny. That's funny. No, I, I'm with you on that. I remember there was an essay in, uh, like, the back page of Newsweek about 10 or 12 years ago, and it talked about, uh, you know, the whole idea of using, regrowing, using body parts, regrowing body parts without the brain. And it was a whole argument from aesthetic. Like, imagine the horror of rooms filled with bodies, you know, serving no other purpose than to provide us with, with organs. And I'm like, all right, this is a parody? Right. Because, I, mean, I mean, yeah, a little that's bit no argument. That's no argument. Yeah, Look, there's exactly. a lot of things that are ugly or hideous looking, and that's the least important thing that should be in your brain when you're making this intellectual decision. However, having said that, whether or not I could suffer through that, you know, uh, personally eat something that aesthetically looks gross to me, yeah, I'll be first to admit I may be weak in that category. Well, well, nobody's suggesting we eat this is actually for organ transplants, but I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, I would was eat one of the things- organ transplants, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdo. Tell me, tell me, this was all based on a real story. Tell, tell me, this is the next part. Is by the way, on weird things, we're well, we've growing been covering meat cannibalism and this week. Yeah, we've yeah, covering... yeah. Matt's uh, Matt's monster of the week was cannibalism in honor of Thanksgiving. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we did all sorts of stuff. He did, uh, you know, a cannibalism, the, the the cannibalism elements that have been cut from fairy tales. Let me and, tell you, uh, out of everything with cannibalism, the only thing that really horrifies me is the the brain eaters who would, who would contract kuru. Oh, that is dark stuff. The idea of eating another dude's brain. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of more uh, on the side of the guys who uh, ingest the private parts of other powerful leaders <gasps> to uh, invest themselves <laughs> with the uh, masculine power that they had uh, obviously wielded. Wow. <laughs> and wow. like, by the way, like that goes on like. In, like, today. In Stop certain- calling me rhino. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you just right. get you... Cook yourself a pork tenderloin. It looks about the same. Mm-hmm. 
Brian. Yes. So you're on a cruise ship. You and Bonnie decide you're going to take a cruise to Egypt. What, what did I tell you about the family? But go ahead. Yes. It's okay. Don't worry. The she's, kids aren't there. Tell me the kids aren't she's, there. She's, no, there. she's just a prop. Don't worry. Okay, good. Okay. So <laughs> you try to keep a low-key profile because you know it is. You got scam school fans everywhere. Yes. Right? Yes. But I don't know. You're at the captain's table and, and some klutz starts doing magic tricks like really, really badly. And you're like, all right, I got to perform. I, I can't can't take any more of this. You start doing stuff, and because it's so awesome, people are like, OMG, it's the Schwood. Right here, right now. Your cover's blown. Now everybody on the cruise ship knows Brian Brushwood's on the ship. Okay. Okay, okay you all get, right. You, you get to Egypt, word spread around, all the Egyptian fans are like, yeah, la, 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 Brian, okay? <laughs> Sorry. That was some good Egyptian, by the way. Okay, thank you very much. So now, and we're going to get letters on that. Um, so now, <laughs> now you're in... Now you're in Egypt, uh, land of mystery, an amazing, amazing place, and you decide you're going to go on a tour. Right? And Bonnie's like, you know what? I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit. I'm going to chill out. I don't really want to go on a tour. And you're like, all right, Bonnie. See you later. You go on a tour, and your tour guide's kind of a interesting looking man. Like when you say someone... tour, you don't mean like I'm going around performing my show. No, no, no. You you're mean going like to go I'm going to go pyramids. see things. Okay, got you're it. You're going to go yeah. see the pyramids. See the stuff like, got yeah, it. You're going to go, gonna go see it. the pyramids, all that. You're going on your tour. You're going to see the sights, and along the way, your tour guide maybe gets into a fight with some other guy in a market. Knives are pulled out, and then the fight is shushed down, and the tour guide says, well, I have to go fight him tonight on top of the pyramid. Nice. By the way, that okay. is awesome. I clearly picked the right guy yes, for my tour guide. Okay. Now, this guy, by the way, you know, he meets you. He, he finds out you do magic and all that, and he kind of gives you sort of this contemptuous look, whatever. You're like, all right, it's a strange, strange land. So that night, you go with the tour guide to the top of the pyramid. And the other guy he got in the fight with, they pull out their knives. And they start to fight a little bit. But you're like, you know, this is not a real fight. There's something bogus going on. Next thing you know, the 20 other people who gathered there to watch the fight, they tackle you. Uh-oh. Okay, they tackle you. They tie you up. They bind your wrist. They bind you in just tremendous amounts of rope. And then they tell you. They say... Egypt is a land of magic and mystery. We do not like imposters. We do not like pretenders. People who say they are greater than the history that we have of magic and mystery. And you realize this might be like a group of magicians, but like old school, like, you know, the mummy type magicians. Capital M. This has been passed on, you know, for hundreds, for thousands of years. M-A-G-I-C-K magicians. (laughs) Yes, or whatever the Arabic is for it or the... Right, the Arabic for M-A-G-I-C-K. Okay. These guys are pissed at you, Brian, because you're a pretender as far as they're concerned. By the way, you you, want to brag about your awesome tour guide now, Hotshot? Yeah. So now they've tied you up, cover your eyes, and next thing you know, you find yourself being lowered down. Into the pyramid? Below the pyramids, Brian. They take you through chambers and whatever, and you're being lowered, lower, and lower. And you realize... You're being lowered down for a long time, okay? There is like uh, all the rope in Egypt is being used. Oh my god, that's down. a lot okay. of rope! You're scraping your face on the sides of the walls as you're getting dragged down into there. It's like tighter further, and tighter as I further. go down deeper. Oh, it's like it's constricting. You, the very, there's no air. There's nothing. You keep going down. Like you heard Am I hungry? Voices. Are either of my children dead? <laughs> Children are fine back at the hotel. It's just about you. Okay, oh, good. More of it. Finally, you go right after b- hours, like literally, Brian, hours of being lowered into the ground, your face hits stone, and then you hear the rope start to fall down after you. So you try and roll aside, but the rope keeps falling and falling and falling and falling and falling on top of you until you are covered with a ton of rope. This is dark. Okay. This is a dark episode of the Weird Things podcast. It's hard for you to breathe. There's so much rope on you. You're fading in and out of consciousness. Okay? But some, sometime, minutes, maybe hours later, you don't know because it's completely dark. The rope is moved off of you by someone or something. Right? Yeah. So now here you are. But you are an escape artist, correct, Brian? Sure. You struggle with the ropes. You struggle. Now, you realize any normal man would mortal. give up and die. Lesser mortals. Would give up and die. But not you, Brian. No. You wrestle free of the ropes. Because I'm hungry. Maybe hours of fighting with the ropes. Your your wrists are just blistered. Bloody. Okay? Your fingers are raw. Every, every joint in your body is just racked with unbelievable, intense, searing, wide-hop flame of pain. Okay? Yes. 
finally you get my your, clothes you struggle. rip off. I'm like a half naked sun god. In, clothes are soaked in sweat and rip apart as you finally get out. You can feel the blood just trickling down from your body, but it's too dark to see anything. You see a corridor and you walk down the corridor. And what you see beyond, I, Brian, I don't even want to tell you what you see beyond because you're going to say it was your imagination. And maybe it was your imagination playing tricks on you. Maybe it was a hallucination. But you, you know, there are stories. There are stories of mummies that were composites of human parts and animal parts. You'd oh. see these Egyptian gods with crocodile heads or hippo heads. Well, there are stories that those were actually mummies that were made by the ancient Egyptians and very, very dark. Wait, and I think I see one of them. You maybe you do. It's dark. Maybe you see them from beyond. Okay, you are so far below the surface of the earth, Brian, that you could be in a place where the old ones live. Okay, maybe through there you see some ceremony and these shapes that are moving that look like these creatures are there. And maybe beyond, they're offering some sort of sacrifice. Maybe they're trying to invoke some creature to come out from the darkness. Maybe an old one itself to come forward. Maybe to come claim you. But you see a staircase. And they didn't predict your ability to escape. And you run up the stairs and you keep going and going and going and going for hours and hours and hours. And you're delirious. Your only thought is to get back to the safety of your wife and your children. Eventually you black out when you wake up. You are on the sands in front of the Sphinx. Holy cow. Let me tell you, first of all, like, uh, like if you just dropped me in this scenario and said there was like scary shapes and I needed to run forward, I wouldn't do it. But... The fact that you clearly indicated that I was a goner anyway, covered underneath all those ropes and everything. I mean, I'm dead at this point, and I know it, and I've got no choice but to freaking move forward. Like, well, hell, I guess it's just a video game now. I'm going to die. Question is, how how long until I have to go to the next life? Yeah. Well, Brian, have you ever had, I mean, you're, you're a person that's very conscious of the fact that we hallucinate. Yes. So you're willing to accept that sometimes you might see something that's just too impossible to believe, right? <sighs> so you're saying in this situation, I wake up and I'm on the outside. Do I doubt myself? Do I doubt that I really... How, how, do, you, how do you tell the story? Do you tell people? I mean, again, th- th- there's what I th- decide intellectually, and then there's what viscerally I probably would do. Intellectually, I would like to think... I equivocate and say, hey, I'll be the first to admit memory is a funny thing and maybe somebody slipped me some some PCP or something kooky. But here is word for word what I experienced over the last 24 hours. Realistically, though, viscerally, I'm going to grab a man. I'm going to punch anyone who doubts my story. So, so you're going to be out there. You're doing talk shows in the intervening years uh, just talking about all your crazy experiences and you're getting upset when people call you, you know a what I, I, Which, I by the way you sound like I I, I clearly do L- let me tell you it's like I in the short term like next 48 hours I will probably swear everything exactly the way I saw it but I'm gonna say after two days some kind of sense sensibility some kind of skepticism has to be coming in where I've got to say you know there are drugs that would induce this kind of experience and then I'm gonna do some research and I'm gonna say it's possible somebody slipped me something or that this was a dark prank or something. I mean, the main let me tell you, the one part I don't believe out of this whole thing, like I'll believe that there are half human, half animal mummies. I won't believe that I had the courage to fight my way out of the center of the earth. That's the part that makes me think this clearly had to be some kind of fantasy. Hmm. More like Brian Nutswood. That's right. <laughs> Did you hear Brian went crazy? All he does is yammer about his crazy Egyptian adventure where he fought his way out of the center of the earth and hugged a crocodile head mummy on the way out. Brian, what if I told you this was a true story? Wait, that it actually happened to somebody? Happened to Harry Houdini. Nuh-uh! Nuh-uh! Houdini wrote about this account. Houdini's a level-headed dude! What's he doing with crazy talk? In 1924 in Weird Tales, this story was published by Harry Houdini. An accounts an adventure he said took place in 1910. This is what's great about you, Andrew, is I never know. You're like a roulette reel with crazy on the agenda <laughs> somewhere. Because it's now, like, you set up these things, and half the time I'm like, tell me this habit for real. You're like, no, nah, dude, we just want to talk about eating your children. And then you'll do the <laughs> same crazy nutting BS, and then all of a sudden it's like, guess what? Harry Houdini claimed that's true. What? What? Well, 
little more background on you for for this, all right? It was published in 1924 in Weird Tales. Byline was by Houdini. It was a story Houdini had given details to. It was actually ghost-written for Houdini by H.P. Lovecraft. <gasps> What's funny is I thought this is very H.P. Lovecraftian. I didn't know that H.P. Lovecraft ghost wrote for Harry Houdini. That's huge. They talked about collaborating on different things, and then Houdini was asked to publish some stories for Weird Tales, and he decided he wanted to tell this account of what happened to him. 1910 in Edvit. Now, what the exact details were that Houdini said to Lovecraft, uh, you know, we'll probably have to talk to somebody who's, you know, maybe has the original documentation. But this was the story that H.P. Lovecraft ghost writ for Houdini because he looked at Houdini's story and figured, maybe I can. A little bit of spit and polish. A little Embellish bit of it, perhaps. Jazz hands, whatever. some rhinestones, a little bit but dazzler. Houdini yeah. seemed comfortable this being published under his name. And Houdini says at the beginning of the story, he says, I know some of these events could not have taken place. They're too fantastic to believe, yet this is how I remember it. Well, that's fair enough. That's a that's an okay disclaimer. And also, that was a different time. It was very mm-hmm. sensationalist back then. I mean, we're I guess we're still sensationalist today. But, you know, that's that's not too far from, from the next article you read in Harper's Weekly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> True that. We uh we're gonna try and see if we can't get somebody with a really awesome voice to do like an audiobook version of this that we could just give away. Because it's a really cool story. We'll put a link that to it. That would be awesome. I love this idea of, of weird things offering fictionalized narratives of, of like yeah. of like true true accounts from people. Yeah, I think I mean, we, if we want to make this like a our, our Christmas present, right? Can, can I can yeah, I do can like get... a foley for that? Sure, sure. That's what we want to do is we want to have like the Egyptian market. You know. <laughs> and, and Andrew's going to play every uh, Egyptian. We're just going to layer his audio. <laughs> and then and then people are like caught, caught under tons of ropes and Brad's like, oh, there's so many ropes. I can't get out. We just have you going. <laughs> so, I don't know so why there's a bird there. But there's I... I choose to believe that it's 100% true. Every detail. I love the fact that you read the story because it's H.P. Lovecraft writing it that he talks about the maybe seeing the old ones himself. And then the idea that we have an actual encounter between Houdini and Cthulhu that is supposed <laughs> yeah, by to be the way, What's fact. funny is when you were telling the story of you said maybe the old ones themselves, I thought to myself, what, like, what, what was it? Nylar Hotep? What was yeah. that? Yes. That, that's what popped in my brain, but I was like, Brian, don't be silly. And then I find out it's actually written by H.P. Lovecraft. That's yeah. amazing. Oh, surprise. <laughs> a Lovecraft story has Cthulhu and the old ones in it. Come on. <laughs> but this is like, this is the 1910 equivalent of the Jetsons meet the, the Flintstones. Like Houdini takes on Cthulhu. That's huge. That yeah. is great. That is that is definitely like uh, Laurel and Hardy meet Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> I just when I, I'm as a big Houdini fan, obviously, and a huge Lovecraft fan. When I found out about the story, I'm like, no, yes. I mean, that's like, I mean, what more could you want? A true account of Houdini adventure, so fantastic. H.P. Lovecraft had to be the one to write it down. Where Andrew, can people find this, Andrew? We'll put a link to it. It's a, it's called uh, Beneath the Pyramids. By Harry Houdini. And Let me tell you, search. Andrew, I, I wonder how many other awesome things there are like this that have yet to be discovered. Uh, in, and I mean awesome in that, not in that scientifically significant way, but in that geek awesome kind of way. Uh-huh. In a weird way, you're like you're like a geek archaeologist or an anthropologist <laughs> who, who trolls you're, through you're stuff. Half right. <laughs> almost almost a hundred years old material to find like moments of awesome in crossover <laughs> history. That's I I think we're doing good work here. So, gentlemen, we had a prior podcast where uh, emotions were on full display. <sighs> emotions ran right. high. On it the got last it was weird a, it was a podcast. heated discussion, spirited. I got to apologize again. I let my goat get got, and as a as a grown up <laughs> man, I'd like to think that my goat is is unattainable. But you you bastards stole it. You got well, we my got goat. That. We got that goat. Oh, oh, that's the whole purpose of this, Brian. Yeah. This is not a bunch of You just thought you could clinical... get my goat by eating my children, but guess no. what? <laughs> oh no, no. I still I, have I, my goat. I just I just want to create the podcast that when Bonnie, you know, you play for Bonnie, she just looks at you and goes, 
Why, Brian? By the way, <laughs> Bonnie listened to Bonnie listened to one of the previous uh, Weird Things podcasts, and like this is yesterday. She 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 didn't have anything on her iPod, so she grabbed my iPhone and she just listened to it. And like halfway through, she starts cackling and losing it so bad. And I'm, I'm like, what? And she and she was referring to like when we were talking about invisibility, and I said that my wife had discovered the secret of invisibility, and the secret is to be married to somebody who's a public personality, and then you're <laughs> suddenly invisible. And then like like she thought it was so hilarious that you guys are like, wow, that's that's really depressing, Brian. <laughs> Oh, it is, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> just, just wait till this week's episode. <laughs> no, what's right. funny is I'm, I, all of a sudden knowing that she's going to hear this changes everything. I was like, I'm sorry. But let me just say in advance, I'm sorry I eat our children. Go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, and her. Don't forget her. So mm. we were talking in our podcast titled No Sign of Intelligent Life. It was a very spirited discussion. And one of our very astute listeners out there, Daniel Arndt, pointed out that part of the tension may have came from the fact that we felt very passionately about different points that weren't necessarily contradictory, but weren't were definitely not complimentary. And okay. you know, and Brian was making at the point that you know that we we shouldn't have this sort of arrogance to assume that we were so special that aliens would want to visit us. And I was trying to make my point about well, you know, we have a really advanced civilization; it's cheap to go anywhere and everywhere. And and we both were very very passionate about our particular points. And, and, and in, thus- in, in my in my defense, to clarify, you know, I was saying that 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 no matter how, even if we were interesting. Uh, my guess is there are enough other characters like us that they can't get around, probability speaking, statistically mm-hmm. speaking, to, to to reaching us specifically. Well, and that comes down to I, I had a realization, an epiphany, if you will, and that was uh, you want to eat my I, children. Whoa! I didn't think that my voice betrayed that, but you're <laughs> a far more astute listener than I realized. Well Go played, on. Brian. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I'm a big singularity guy. I'm fascinated by the singularity. And the singularity, uh, we've recapped this before, but just the 30-second the, the summation. Yeah, basically, by the way, t- take it as, as on faith that, that there will never be uh, the audience so well-educated about the singularity that you shouldn't go back and recap what I, that is. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So basically, uh, as Ray Kurzweil talks about it, technology increases exponentially, not linear. That means that... The future isn't going to like the, We're not going to have like the last 20 years of advancing, advancement. You don't just project that 20 years in the future and assume we're going to have the same level. Things happen faster and faster. Moore's Law things double every 18 months, which means that 10 years from now, it's not like things are going to be four times as powerful. They're going to be you know, like 64 times as powerful, what have you. And the math is wrong on that. But anyways, the future happens at a very, very fast pace. It keeps increasing. Solar power. Every 18 months, like solar power decreases by cost by half. And that oh, I means didn't know that, that. That's, that's very encouraging to know. Oh, yes. So it's like you, could, you, can, you can chart a point like within the next probably 12 years where solar power will be cheaper than oil. Okay. Oh. So that's what exponential growth means. It means things are really accelerated. Again, go check out Ray Kurzweil's TED Talk. For those of you who haven't, his, TED, his talk at TED, he talks about this, how exponential growth is a thing that we do not fundamentally grasp as humans. It's a difficult concept to really wrap your head around because we're used to linear growth. Can, and we think – what's can, that? Well, I was going to ask uh, on, on Ray Kurzweil, what's funny is you know, the brain is, is faulty and, and you tend to resort to shortcuts. And mm-hmm. I may be guilty – of kind of blowing off Ray Kurzweil because he's selling vitamin supplements because his thing is like, just stay long alive long enough mm-hmm. to, to be there for the singularity and you'll be fine. So he sells like vitamin supplements or whatever. But the moment I saw vitamin supplements, I was just like, whatever, crazy mm-hmm. talk. Well, and again, that's, you know, that's sort of a, a, a gray area and I, I'm with you on that. Um, and the thing with vitamin supplements and stuff too, is that I would, I would suggest that his argument is that it's kind of like the, you know, the Pascal's wager, where there are some things we know are harmful, and we know super dosing on some things are harmful, but these other things that if, if you find out that you know, a little, you know, zinc can have a 5% positive effect on immune systems or whatever, right. you know, Ray Kurzweil is a guy that believes passionately that we're going to reach this point like between like, I guess like 2029 or 2040 where or whatever. everybody gets to be immortal. Well, technology that, like, yeah, life expectancies, all this. I know this is, like, a crazy thing for me to say right here. For those who aren't familiar with the singularity, I really – and I I told, like, Daniel Arndt and other people, like, 
Go read the book, The Singularity is Near, because then we can have interesting discussions. Not to say we need to believe this, but we as skeptics need to say, let's look at this skeptically. I tried to put together a nanotechnology conference with the JREF back in the mid-1990s, and one of the speakers we had speak, who is a person I really respect, all he did was make ad hominem attacks on the nanotechnology movement and would Boo, not talk about the... ad hominem! Yeah, Boo. would not talk about the science. <laughs> would not talk about the science, which was, I'm a skeptic, ready to, you know, let's take this thing apart. But I realized, wow, well, since then, 10 years later, the science has gotten pretty strong and we accept the idea of nanotechnology in some forms. And now the singularity, the idea that computing, and you know, we're going to get to a point within 20 years where we'll be able to build a computer that's faster and smarter than a person. Now, I understand there's software problems, all this. There's a whole big book that goes into this. So Wait, the point well, is, you, is... You said how long? 20 years? Uh, I think that like we're going to by probably like 2020 something like uh, there's when... Okay, well, I, I will I will go on record as disagreeing with you on that, uh, but 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 well, not the, that the, it matters, but go the ahead. Heart, the, 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 the whole point is is the exponential growth, though, that we can't we can't wrap our head around what that uh-huh. does. And Brian, there's, there's the hardware thing and there's the software. And so from the hardware point of view, if you follow Moore's law to where it goes, there's a point where you go, wow, we'll have, you know, we'll have densities greater than the human brain and we'll be able to build, you know, a thousand dollars worth of computing hardware will equal the human brain at some point in the next like 15 years. Know what it'll be used for? Porn. Porn. Yeah, exactly. So part of what this, so once you reach the singularity point where you're able to build a computer that's, you know, as fast as, as powerful as a human brain and cost a thousand bucks. 18 months later, it's going to be twice as powerful. And then soon you're going to be able to build a machine that can improve itself. And Moore's Law is something that happens every week. So you're you're a fan of our greatest threat is malevolent AI. I think it's an interesting hypothesis. And I think that, you know, there's... that that's a whole other discussion, but we get to this point. We Which get to is th- why we need to blow up Cyberdyne. Exactly, <laughs> but you get to this. You get to this point where technology accelerates at such a fast pace that you will be able to live as long as you want, whatever. And again, I know that it's it's, it's a crazy sort of thing to think about, but really smart, legitimate researchers and scientists are interested in this. NASA has sponsored the Singularity Institute, which is actually at the NASA Ames Research Center, where they bring in scientists and academics and executives to talk about this concept because it's not it's not from the fringe. This is from people in the middle of mainstream science who are saying, we well, you know if we if we believe the past is indication things accelerate, we're going to get to this point where this happens. And it's it's not the sort of thing that you should accept on somebody saying, no, trust me, it's not. It's a thing you need to read or look up and go into it with a very critical eye and come up with your own questions and try and find out what the answers are to it. Because okay, so that's that's the recap. That's to yeah, bring you up to speed recap. on yep. the singularity. Yep. And we will so, we will do that same eight minute litany every episode we, that we mentioned the singularity, just so <laughs> we can make sure need, everyone knows what we're talking about. We need to have like a really short version of it. But anyhow, we'll say refer to we, episode. We can four. talk about this episode. Go yeah. go back to episode four. Yeah. Yes. So and and when I so part of what the singularity implies is that eventually an eventuality in there is you want to start maximizing every bit of matter and energy in the universe for computational potential. Okay, so when you look at a post-singular civilization, it's a civilization that's reached this point. There, the idea that they would be basically spreading, they, they've cracked the code of everything. The universe is their oyster. Yeah, they're basically every star, everything like that. They want to figure out how to use this as computational power. So at some at some point before then, it means sending probes to every corner of the universe. So that was when our, when we we're talking about the whole you know intelligent life here and all that. That was sort of my thinking. Like, well, if it's a post singular civilization, we're going to be cataloged. They may not care, but we're going to be cataloged. So that's interesting. So you took it as a postulate, as an axiom from the beginning that part of this society is that they are physically able to catalog every single thing and send a probe every single where. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Okay. Well, I... I That's a big assumption. So I but had it's... rejected that hypothesis at the mm-hmm. outset. So maybe that explains some of our mm-hmm. disagreement from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it's uh, singularity discussions could be very interesting. So I think that's going to be everybody's homework assignment because I think it would just be... It's a it's a mind blowing thing, and what makes it's the most mind blowing concept you can think about. And some very rational people are saying it. And I'm not saying that I've drinking the Kool Aid. Let me tell you, I love nothing more than really smart people saying really crazy things. This and this is the craziest. And one of the things Kurzweil talks about too is uh, speed of light. You know, we we th- take it as a constant, but there is evidence to show that 
you know, looking at the decay of nuclear materials from something like 20, years, years, 20 million years ago when there was a naturally occurring atomic explosion in Africa, that there is indication that the speed of light I'm, has I'm, changed. I'm sorry, over- did you say an, a naturally occurring atomic es- explosion? Yes. No, it was, yeah, a fissile event. What happened was basically um, there was a uranium deposit going down a riverbed, and it formed in an elbow. It started forming more and more uranium got deposited, and it reached critical mass. All right, let me explain something. For those of you guys just joining us, Weird Things is such an amazing podcast where, like, the crumbles, the crumbs falling off the cake are awesomer than anything else. A naturally, you just were going to let that drift on by. A naturally occurring atomic explosion? Well, it was a it was a fission reaction. I mean, it, it oh, may it was not only have fission. Well, yeah, I mean, screw it, it, it that, may not man. have may not have been a full on you know explosion. Dude, I mean, that's but, huge. Yeah, what it is is uh, there are three ore deposits. I'm going to Wikipedia so I can give you the, in Oklo in Gabon. Okay, and basically, where what, is that? Ohio in, in Africa. <laughs> remember, remember when I said Africa? Okay, sorry. I didn't okay, so what apparently happened is is you had a as this river was pushing your you know water through it was eroding away uranium deposits and it somehow managed to well not somehow managed i mean it, it actually ended up creating a pile a nuclear pile of uranium that ended up reaching critical mass and so this is this is a well documented thing it's not a thing that's uh this actually this reaction started excuse me um was about like 2 billion years ago uh, so you can look this up. It's not. It's not considered really a fringe thing. I mean, it's it's a thing that's that, it's that, hard science. Yeah, it's hard science. But um, like, but like now, now critical mass is what the the point at which energy coming out is react- greater than energy going in, or yes, yes, sir. Okay, okay. So it's like it's like it's a, it's a mini fizzle. It's it's an Alka Seltzer tablet of a nuclear bomb. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, a nuclear reactor. I misspoke before. I was trying to make you know excitement. So, well, but, you, you know, certainly th- did. You got me excited, sir. <laughs> yeah. I was about to eat my children. But it's a, a nuclear, yeah, nuclear reactor, naturally occurring nuclear reactor. Okay, and so this thing started two billion years. So two billion years ago, which gives us some, you know, the same sort of radioactive particles that we look at to do, you know, for atomic clocks and stuff like that. And looking at this, there's some indication of like, wow, that would appear the speed of light was different. Now there is. That the the science and physics for that is way beyond me, so don't even bother saying. Well, I'm with you. I, I I won't even understand it. Okay. So, but anyhow, that's one of the things that Kurzweil sort of just drops, kind of like I did. And I'd read this before, and I thought it was sort of fascinating. But you know, who knows? You know, singularity. You know, things that I would consider just impossible, like fast and light travel and all that. Which again, every scenario I've read, Alcaberry drives, what have you, quantum tunneling, read all that stuff, ain't gonna work. You you but, know all about those, right, Justin? Of course, because I I totally know about those. I just want to make sure you totally oh know God. about it too. No. We don't, I know, guys. We don't want to patronize our listeners. No, here. no, no, so, no, yeah, no, because no. I mean that's so Come such on. old hat. I don't want to, you know. What is what is this? Well, on the, third grade. The, 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 the remedial things podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, my point being, <laughs> this is a very long way to get to that this, this point. This letter clearly. Advocates Brian's position and suggests that Brian <laughs> was sincerely maligned by Justin was, and 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 yes. Andrew by some grade school tactics, and that's what, why you got my goat. Why? Why do you think? It just sounds like this is a long uh, setup. To so anyway, the blood of your children will cure AIDS. You doing it, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> So in a roundabout way, so the the assumption I made was I, I assumed you guys were more informed than you actually are. Okay, listen, do me I a favor, Andrew. I will never make that mistake. Never, never, see, ever, I was I was totally assume. on board because I was just betting because the one thing that Andrew said that made me side with that element of the argument was that it was a society, and I forget the exact uh, term of years that you said, but so far advanced from where we are that I was betting on my my bet would be that. They're just cataloging everything because it costs them nothing. And what else are they going to do? Well, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around because, like, we uh, to where I I, I well, that's because you have a stupid opinion, right? <laughs> what, <laughs> like, I thought I thought that the comparison was made like just as far as we are over ants, that's how they are over us. No, no, no. You're the only one who kept screaming and yelling about that like a lunatic. <laughs> Would you God damn it. Are you trying to are you picking sides now again? Are you trying to start no, part two of this? No, I'm not. Listen, this is a completely fair and open and honest conversation between two rational people and a blithering idiot. <laughs> I'm gonna kill. All right. 
Well, well here's uh, here's where I want to get to with this is that when you when you assume a post singular civilization, you kind of anything's possible. Yeah, anything that's physically possible is possible. And even now, the whole my rather clumsy attempt to explain the natural occurring nuclear reactor thing, you know, that indicates the speed of lights change. We're like, maybe even things that I would consider impossible become possible. That being said, um, this is a very simple question. This is what we're trying to get to. Of course, the last this is a simple question. To. That's why it's on the Weird Things podcast. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, we'll start with Justin. Yay. What will the world be like 20 years from now? <laughs> Um, I think everyone's going to be really into Call of Duty Modern Warfare 6. <laughs> um, Boo. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it's going to be probably, I mean, there, I mean, if we were to assume as things have progressed, it will be radically different in terms of how we communicate with each other than, it, you know, than, than we do today. So I assume, you know, there's going to be, you know, I guess we the continued progression of the internet is going to bring us uh, more, uh, you know, interconnectivity, and maybe we, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm, to be I'm, honest, I would like to disagree with Justin on a minor point where you say like like the way we communicate will be different. I actually think the way we communicate will continue to be exactly what we're doing now. Only we'll find more efficient ways to do it. Like, have you noticed? Like, look at the world fifty years ago, and imagine how rude it would have been to sit at a table and completely like throw on a vacant look on your face and just look down at a piece of paper and ignore somebody for two minutes and then go back and return, resume the conversation like everything was fine. Nowadays, that's perfectly normal. And, and as I deal with people who are more hip to online culture or have more stuff going on, whether texting or emailing or whatever, like I sat with Andrew where there were four of us and we all had a very pleasant dinner conversation and then we all randomly stopped and everybody, you know, twittered on their iPhone or whatever. And then we all resumed the conversation like nothing else had happened and everything was fine. I think you're going to see a lot more of that 20 years from now. That's going to become part of our culture. It'll become socially acceptable, this idea that we are persistent and always on and always connected to so, other so, people. So you're saying like in the middle of the State of the Union, the president will just kind of like get a blank look on his face and be like, yes, oh my that's God, a- I, I, I just remember the funniest thing my friend said. Hold on. I gotta <laughs> that, that is, if I remember correctly, that's exactly what I just said. Word for <laughs> word. That is exactly what I just said. Thank you, Justin. Let, let me throw some things at you, all right? Sure. Notice when we ask, like, what will the world be like 20 years from now? If I said, what will it be like 30 years from now? I don't think we're going to get much of a different answer between 20 or 30 years because we're yeah. going to be like, you know, if I might say 100 years, then you'd be like, all right, I can go a little far out there. Finally, but tw- our cars will fly in yeah. 100 years. Well, 20 years ago, think about this. 20 years ago, it was 1989. The Berlin Wall had just fell. Where okay. were you, Andrew Maine? Uh... I was there with a the sledgehammer. I was actually with a. With, with you were Gork. the first guy to take a yeah. crack at that bad boy. He was actually doing tech for the Hasselhoff concert. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, Gorky Park. Get it straight. Is that it? Yeah. Um, the band, not the actual park. <laughs> not um, the actual Gorky Park. <laughs> park, yeah. Uh, yeah, predicting the future is hard because uh, it turns out, you know, it's going to do what it's going to do. And, you know, as much as you try to, you know, plan things on a linear sort of rate, they don't in that exponential thing. And, you know, now we, we sit here while all of us are iPhone users and you look at an iPhone and you, you take that back to 1989. And, you know, we would go, OK, we get it. It's not magic, but it would blow our little minds, you know. Oh, of the, totally. Just, totally. And then you like, you know, of course, trying to connect to the Internet. We'd be like, oh, check. The, oh, wait, there's no Internet in 1989 <laughs> for us. No Wi-Fi for us to connect into here. Um, but other than that, it'd still be pretty impressive. So. These things, the way they accelerate, pretty fascinating. But the the goal is we make these devices smaller and smaller. There's a lot of interesting research now coming out about implants. You know, Brian, would you put on a couple pairs of disco? Would you put on a pair of disposable contacts? That absolutely. You know, I'm I'm 100% pro Borg. Like like okay. there was an article in Wired saying you are Borg, and it was talking about like everything from your contact lenses to your to your femur pins in there or whatever it's like you're already amplifying yourself and it's like i'm for it okay so even you know the soft way to do that would be just you know contacts you put in you use which would give you like the most amazing layered reality ever so augmented reality for the win so we see that in 20 years you know i i do think think we see the beginning of that and we see uh tattoos that Mm -hmm. 
that are actually animated, you know, where you've got little um, nano bubbles that have, you know, a white side and a black side and that they actually move in tandem with some kind of... um, I, I would uh, bet we'd see that we'll see the contact lenses in some commercial form in ten, form in ten years. No, ten years is too. Pe- pe- like think about ten years ago, like nineteen ninety nine. We're worried about the Y two K problem. That seems just as plausible back then that magic contacts would be ten years ahead as it does now. So in ten years, like virtually nothing changes in ten years. I would disagree and from the point of view that, like, display technology, we already have contact lenses in the laboratory that have, like, one or two pixel displays. Yeah, and also, one I or mean, two in, pixels. isn't it safe to no. say that, like, change like that isn't always, uh, you know, things move forward radically? It's not like, like mm-hmm. it, it, there's, there's no reason why, because we don't see a natural progression that we can logically comprehend will mm-hmm. yield a result doesn't mean the result won't happen. You know, like 10 years ago, you had uh, e-ink paper and all that was in the laboratory. Now it's in products. Uh, OLED displays, I think, were actually were still just being developed. Now they're put in it everywhere. The idea that you'll be able to, you know, remember 10 years from now, when you want to make one of these contact lenses, it's going to be embedding, you know, something into a, you know, something into a contact lens material that's going to be some sort of flexible material, whatever. I'm, I'm, uh, let's say, I mean, we call it 20, whatever. Let's say that 20 years from now, we're going to be interfacing. We can, if you want, you can put on glasses or you just have these contact lenses that do that. Eventually, some people are just going to say, just put it in my eye because I don't care. Yeah, you know what? I think, I think, okay, here's my prediction. 20 years from now, you'll be able to put on glasses that'll give you an augmented reality heads-up display where it's like you go to a party and facial recognition identifies all the people you should know their names and their name appears in your heads-up display. Glasses. Glasses 20 years from now. We We can can do do it now, but it's not economically viable now. It takes about 20 years for something to reach economic viability. From when? 40 years from now, then it'll be micronized and put in a contact lens, and 60 years from now, it'll be biological. 60 years from now. Yeah. I mean, we've been able to have flying cars for 20 years No, not not a fuel-efficient flying car, no. No, exactly. It's the commercial viability that takes a good 20 years from proof of concept to it actually appearing. Oh yeah, but I mean that we've had we've had proof of concept stuff of like you know putting stuff into goggles and glasses and all that. We've been doing that for twenty years. You know the facial the software the facial recognition part's been the harder part, but to have glasses with projected displays and stuff those exist right now. I mean I saw right. those ten and years in ago. Twenty years they'll finally be economically viable. Brian, your uh, your your viewpoints and my viewpoints on you know. These things are a little bit different. <laughs> well, all, all I'm going to say I, is, you, is... You're just a poly-pessimist on this yeah. one, Brian. No, well, let me tell you. That's in general. I think everybody gets too optimistic, and they misunderstand uh, the proof of concept for commercial viability. Commercial viability always seems to lag by about 20 years from when people project it's going to happen. But, but I mean, commercial viability of a concept or what? I mean, again, you, if you're talking about, you know, something that's a... a that's... At what stage are we talking about it? Something just an idea on paper or something where somebody's made an actual prototype of it? I would say in general that the moment you can reproduce it regularly in a lab and to generate hype about it by showing it off in articles in Wired Magazine, pretty much anything you see that's awesome and Wired, it'll be 20 years until you can actually buy it. Okay. Well, like e-ink, you know, we've had e-ink, you know, e-ink displays were first announced 10 years ago. I mean, more, about like 1996, 97. Wait, we didn't have and any prototypes before then? For e-ink, the technology, the one that's being used right now, like in the Kindles, uh, was like 1996 when they first demonstrated. That was the first time you would see that's the thing. 13 act- years. That's not too far off from 20. Well, what I'm saying is that, but it's, but it was commercially available three years ago. So that was ten years ago. Oh, okay. it was ten snap. years time. Right. So, like I said, ten years is how long <laughs> everything takes until it's commercially available. Okay. Okay. Well, but and you know, I I agree. There is this overestimation of when these things have been cracked, cracked or whatever. But I would say that it accelerates. We're getting to this point where that's what we talk about how we don't deal with exponential growth. Right. Maybe that's able- what I meant. It was twenty years was the 1980 estimate of how okay. long it took. Now but, it's uh, because of the singularity is down to ten years. Well, that's that's just it. Is that we're able to move now from you know you look at the development cycle of certain things like you know the development cycle of you know look at look at look at cell phones. Okay, since the iPhone. Okay, since the iPhone came onto the market, smartphones have gotten a lot better. Okay, the Droid 
is a way more advanced phone than the H1C or whatever, which just which was the new thing a year ago. Okay, right. look at how far advanced that phone is over that phone that came out a year ago. Okay, where it would have taken three or four years to get to that level. I mean, that big of a jump, and now it happens. You know, now there, there's an article. I think it was Robert Cringley talks about the fact that you know PCs. You know, we used to. Do, you know. PCs used to sort of double every two years. Now cell phones, you know, people replace their cell phone. I replace my iPhone every year just to get the newer model, not because the last one didn't work because I want the new one. So every year they come out with one that's faster, more powerful, with better features, etc. But what's funny is we're seeing a leveling off on that on the regular PC market. We're seeing a good enough. That's part of the reason that PC sales uh-huh. are in a slump is because it's just like, well, I mean, you can surf all your pages. You can play all your games. You can watch all your videos. Absolutely. You know, what, you know, what's the point of more technology? That's why you're seeing netbooks, uh, you know, explode. And, and we, you know, we want that sort of, you know, the, the cheap disposable sort of thing. But, yeah, PCs are leveling off because of that. The only thing that's really making the bigger difference is bigger displays. You know, we want a bigger and bigger display. But other than that, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on that. I totally agree. And, and that's the thing is we start pushing these things out into other devices. I was just at Walmart today, and a Blu-ray player is 108 bucks. What? Yeah. Do so, you remember, um, like, like just 15 years ago, the very concept of a blue laser was uh-huh. was crazy talk. There, yeah. I mean, it was just like, what, pure blue? Nobody could do that. That's impossible. That's crazy talk, kid. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Two things will never happen. Flying cars <laughs> and blue lasers. <laughs> now pardon me while I go eat my kids. <laughs> <laughs> so 20 years from now. We sit there, we're using our little displays and our contact lenses. Maybe we have, uh, I don't know, maybe a little... 20 years, it'll still be glasses. Go ahead, though. Uh, glasses, oh my God. 20 years from now, we're going to have a bet. Okay, and guess what? You know what? I'm going to say 20 years from now, it ain't going to be contact lenses. It's going to be drops. It's going to be eye drops. They're going to no self-organize way. themselves into years? a matrix over here. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Yeah, I not can that see the bet of the century <laughs> well, has been played. Well, two guys, you two guys in their folks. late 50s are going to be arguing 20 years from now. He's like, you told me well, there would t- be drops by now. Any extra anything ruins an idea. Uh, the QCAT, the idea that you needed a gizmo to translate barcodes. You know, nowadays, uh, now we've leaped that hurdle 15 years later, and we're uh, able to just grab our iPhones and snap a picture of whatever. For like, those who remember, the QCAT was a device that Wired Magazine sent out with every copy, and basically it was going to be, you had the mouse, then you'd have the QCAT, which plugged into your serial port. How's that for you? Yep. And <laughs> it, it had its, but it didn't use regular barcodes. It had its own special barcode system. So if you're reading a Mac, because they, they wanted to try and figure a way to bridge the gap between print and the web. So if you're reading and you're reading through the magazine and you see this wonderful ad for a Boulevard watch, you could pull the magazine out, go up to your computer, pull out your QCAT, scan the barcode. It's that extra <laughs> it's that extra step that kills it. Like it's whatever that easy. easy. I remember I got that and I'm like this is the stupidest thing in the world. It is just in, if they want it they were and when people started hacking it they had a fit cuz they tried to say well you don't own it or you're only leased to you or whatever and there was actually right. like a court case cuz they're like you sent it to people, you know. But the thing they could have done to have made that thing take off would imagine if Along with the QCAT, they came with business card software. And so you could make your business card, and on the back of it, print your own barcode and scan it, and it would then open up your web page. Wouldn't have mattered, because you can't buck human nature. And human nature says, I've got something. I don't want to take the extra step of pulling out this device and the device drivers and the QCAT Brian, and the scanning. Brian, I, I, I think they would have been better going to a webcam thing. I'm totally with you on that. I think it would have had a slightly better chance of taking off if they created this open source barcode thing. Slightly. Well, because well, really there's, there's two parts of that, right? I mean, there, there's the idea of a, of a proprietary barcode system and, and an organization. And what I think Andrew's saying is that if you get people invested in it on some level, then you know, even if the QCAT, the device, might have fundamental flaws, that you've created a system uh, that can survive in some other form. A, a reason right. for me to take it out of the package. All right. Well, look, we're over an hour now, so we got to wrap this up. <laughs> oh, do we? <laughs> or do we? Gen- Welcome no. to the eight-hour weird things extravaganza. So we, we, we've we've really come to no consensus about the future. Brian and no. I yet again argue. Shocker, shocker. We're disagreeing. You know, it's a good thing we do this over Skype because if we were in person, it could come to blows. 
It By the way, I would like I would like to think that we find cool things to disagree with because I think oh, on, on the most part you would find that our trunks pretty much co-align, but oh. it's only at the weird branches that we go in odd directions. And that's the yeah. whole purpose of this is to take guys who are relatively like-minded and then and find get them wanting these to kill schisms. each other exactly. over eating exactly. their children. <laughs> I, I apologize to our listeners that we don't get more arguments on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna work harder. I'm 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 a little bit uh I'm, I'm a little let down by the fact that you're I'm you happy kinda... to report though that my goat is still in my barn. You bastards did not get my goat despite uh. trying to eat my children. You keep your goat in a barn? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alright, alright. Whatever, weirdo. <laughs> Go play with your goat. Yeah. <laughs> to keep the goat from eating his children, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, this has been weird things, and I got to say, it's been pretty weird. Do you have a comment or want to suggest a topic for the next Weird Things podcast? Email Justin Robert Young at gmail.com.